Hello, my name is David Turner, and as ever, this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. This month I'm in Basildon, and I'm joined by Ormo Lazarus and Shawnee Richards, and collectively they're known as Tory Town Poets. We're going to start with Ormo and Shawnee giving us brief introductions about themselves. Oh, actually, first, you might hear some scratching in the background. It's Buster the dog. He's, me- he's massive <laughs> and he's mental. So it's not, we're not scratching the floor. The <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe Ormo could start with just a brief introduction into himself and his work. Okay, yeah, my name's um, Olmo Lazarus. Um, primarily, I'm a, I'm a poet, and um, I, I do two kinds of poetry, really. I mean, I, I do children's poetry, but I also do kind of spoken word stuff, and under the Torytown Poet umbrella, it's mostly the spoken word stuff that I, uh, I focus on. Um, I tend to write an awful lot about Basildon, like where we're from, and, um, and kind of... A lot of it is is about my experiences growing up in this town and almost all of it is rooted in real life about people I know and about things I've seen and uh, I suppose I like to be a bit of a storyteller really. That's kind of what I try to get through my poetry. Yeah, and Shawnee? Hi, uh, I'm Shawnee. I'm an artist from Basildon in Essex. started doing spoken word poetry about 18 months ago. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Um, also, primarily making work about Basildon, where I grew up, places I've been and the, the people that I've seen. Um, a lot of it's kind of just the reality of where we're from and um, slightly politicised, so yeah. um, kind of like a left-wing outlook on stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that's about it, really. Cheers. Um, right, so the discussion today is going to mainly focus on the culture or maybe lack of it in satellite towns in the UK. Yeah. And I hope we're going to talk widely enough for the discussion to be relevant to listeners in Bolton or Gateshead. But as we're in Basildon today, we'll be focusing on the town's relationship with locally South End and more widely with London. Uh, so maybe between the two of you, give us a bit of information first about Basildon and what it's, what it's like, the kind of town it is. The kind of town it is. Well, Basildon's a new town. Um, it was built after the war, and, and like uh, I think you find in a lot of new towns, it's almost like a devoid of a history almost. It's Everything's very kind of prefab and was knocked up very quickly. And what we kind of, I feel anyway, growing up here and living here, is we lack a, a cultural element. There, there isn't that kind of culture here. So people who are interested in, in visual art, in, in poetry, music, we have to travel... Um, to try and get that. I mean, if, if you're interested in poetry and art, Basildon is not a place where you're, generally speaking, going to find it. We have to either go in one direction to kind of South End on Sea, or the other direction to, to go to London if, if we want to go to open mic poetry nights, if we want to go see an art exhibition, if we want to see a band play, anything like that. Yeah, I think that is, a, yeah, that's enough for context, I think. Um, first question, um, who, what, why Tory Town Poets? Do you want me to kick off with this? Go for it. <laughs> um, right, Tory Town Poets. Um, you can kind of trace the origins of Tory Town Poets back quite a few years, actually, because although I have been writing for, for quite a long time, I've only been doing spoken word for a year and a half, maybe two years max. Before then, I was in um, quite a few bands, quite a few awful bands, Um <laughs> And uh, used to write lyrics for them and stuff. And um, I was in a couple of punk bands and a bit of a hip hop outfit. And, and we we done kind of like lyrics, and that's how my writing started. Um, after my last band um, split up, and then, I mean I'm going back about five years now. Um, a mate of mine was in a band, and he asked me, "Could you write some lyrics for me?" Because he was a, a vocalist and a guitarist, but he he was absolutely hopeless at writing. And he said to me, "Can you write me some lyrics?" So I ended up putting together a little booklet of just kind of collected poems and, and writings and ramblings and stuff. And that whole project never really happened. But I ended up labelling this little booklet the Tory Town Poems. Okay. And um, that just kind of stayed stagnant for, for a, a very long period of time. It never ever got used. Um, and then I believe the next kind of step towards Tory Town Poets happening was, well, it was when you went to see uh, yeah, Big went, Audio Dynamite, Yeah, I went it? to see Big Audio Dynamite, and um, they do a lot of, uh, like, sampling in their yeah. uh, music, and I got quite in- interested in it. 
And then you, Jack had done a lot of stuff when he'd had house parties where he'd played around with like mixing songs, just using like audacity. Um, and so I, I turned around to um, Omar and was like, uh, oh, could I, uh, could I like, you know, rack your brain? I want to do like a little music project um, and just try and make some beats just like purely out of sampling really. Um, and almost got a brilliant attitude where if you mention a project to him within about two days he'll have completed the project um, <laughs> so I, I go home and a couple of days later I was like oh here you go I've made about 10 different beats um, come check them out and they were, they were really cool very like old school hip hop and um, and then Omo kind of dug out this old book of Toy Town Poems and was like let's have a go at playing around with that and um so then we started writing together, making music, and then um, after a little while, because I'm not a rapper at all, um, I got a bit frustrated with doing writing but not being able to do anything with it, uh, so I kind of came up with the idea of going and checking out a spoken word gig. Yeah, I mean, I think that was quite an organic process, wasn't it? Because I felt like, especially your writing, Shani, it where where you hadn't done as much writing as me previous to Tory Tampoes, had you? Um, your writing was just just getting more and more complex and more and more interesting. It was making me up my game, really. And it got to the point where um, Shawnee's writing was getting so complex um, that fitting it to a beat was becoming quite an issue. Do you remember when we when you first tried to communicate to me how to rap that Memphis Soul Stew song? Yes. You could do it like that. But for me, that, that took me a good month of just... A yeah. man puts pen to paper, duppy writer takes flight. Just that line was just like, <laughs> just yeah. trying to get it out. So I think, and we even did flirt with the idea, didn't we, of, of one of our CDs of saying, why don't we do a hip hop track and a spoken word piece? And yeah, a hip hop yeah. track and a spoken word piece. But it was when you first said, let's go to an, an open mic poetry night, that it kind of, it kind of moved that direction. I was dubious, man. I mean, I, I had very, very little experience of spoken word poetry. Yeah. I was aware that it was an art form. I, mean, I knew about Scroobius Pitt, you know, and that was kind of the closest I'd kind of got to experiencing that art form. And I was very dubious about trying it out. But um, we went to a lip tink at the Poetry Cafe, didn't we? Um, yeah. Mr. T. Thompson's night. And yeah, I was blown away. I fell in love with it straight away. Yeah. And straight away I thought, this is the direction that Tory Town Poets is going to go now. You know, this is, this is the next next step in our evolution <laughs> um, I think next we'll talk about um, we'll come around to this idea of place and uh, sort of where we where we grow up and how that affects us as artists how do you think as artists do you answer the issue of either choosing to travel regularly to larger towns or cities in order to share your work or staying at home and trying to establish some sort of scene um I have, I have not done any work in trying to establish a scene here. I mean, no, I'm not saying it couldn't be done. It just it hasn't been done, has it? Yeah, there's, there's kind of a small bubble of... Um, I was actually going to follow up with a short like, a sort of sub-question in that, you know, in the knowledge that it'll probably fail. Yeah, yeah. I'll preempt that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's kind of a small bubble of like... Um, and there, there has been since... So we were growing up at least there's this been been this little scene of local bands yeah um, lots of like battle of the bands kind of stuff but that's very much rooted in kind of the metal rock scene yeah which kind of isn't really our bag anymore when we were no kids. it wasn't we were growing up when it but not um, now no but I, I think like Basildon's Basildon kind of comes from like this tradition of like East End London migrating out to the coast, kind of, and it's, it's a stop-off point, I suppose, for people heading for the seaside, really. It is, yeah. um, And once it kind of sprung up as an actual town, I think that, that carried on. And so, so I suppose culturally it's kind of inherited this East End identity. But I guess it's quite interesting that when we go out, we go into London to do stuff, and we're talking about Basildon, it's kind of like we're... Um, we're taking sort of our culture back into London and it's kind of like this cycle that's yeah, it's kind interesting. of interesting. So, Omar, you've, you've still never performed in Basildon? I've never done a gig in Basildon, no. no which is very, Shawnee? Yeah. How about you? No. No, you no. still Right, so 
Yes. Uh, you did with bands. Yeah, but, yeah, but um, as a poet, but no, as a, no, as a, as a no, spoken no, word no. artist yeah. or whatever the wanky term is. <laughs> yeah. Like you haven't, yeah. Because I suppose what I'm wondering is, do, do you not feel obliged to do something here, or or would it just feel like a waste, wasted effort? Um, I, it's, yeah, I, I, I do, I do think that if I could do something here, it would be, it would be awesome, but. I think it would this, be awesome if there was an awesome venue filled with awesome people. Yeah, it wouldn't be sustainable, would it? I reckon you could, at a push, at a real push, and I haven't got the time, energy or effort to do this, um, at a push I reckon you could create a one-off event. You could get enough people down, couldn't you, and do something, but you wouldn't, at the moment anyway, be able to have a monthly or even a bi-monthly thing that kind of ticked over and... And where you get fresh faces and and, and, and exciting kind no, but of that's, that's, through. But that's another thing, isn't it? I, I I think really initially what I mean is like even just a one off a one off gig. Yeah. because um, the, the the I don't know, I I find it interesting that you, um that you don't feel or even if you do feel obliged that you're able to ignore it. Yeah, um, I'm not. I, I, this is not su- supposed to sound judgmental. I don't really have any view either way whether you should, whether I believe that you should or yeah. not stay. But it's um, it's odd because it's a big effort, isn't it, to keep buying train tickets and travel to yeah, either yeah. South End or yeah. London. It's a big cost, and um, yeah. I, I suppose that a big part of the the spoken word thing is you know going to like the open mic nights and yeah. Um, well, that's kind of seeing isn't other it? seeing is, other people. Is it really as, what you're aiming for is to mix with other people that are doing the same work is it you're not really searching for an audience but maybe a connection with other yeah I, th- I think um probably i don't know especially when we started it was about 50 50 of wanting to like perform but also wanting to see other people and see what other people are doing because you know we were so unaware of yeah, poetry yeah. and spoken word and what it was about um, and I think this there was especially in London there was like this scene going on mm. people doing it like every day of the week and so many interesting people yeah. was, you know that wasn't happening in, in Basildon like it doesn't happen um, so it was a kind of an education I guess um, just a general question this yeah. doesn't only relate to poetry but just arts in, in general Did, um uh, if local audiences aren't engaged, isn't that the fault of the artists and not the audience? You know, if audiences aren't being responsive, isn't that our fault? That's inter- That's a very interesting question. I mean, you, you've shifted the focus there, certainly. Mm. Um, and perhaps, yes, there, there I'm, is... I'm sorry, can I, just, can I yeah. just add one sort of covering, cover my ass a little bit? <laughs> I'm not suggesting we bend our work yeah. to suit people I'm just saying that we need to find a different a different way of putting across the same message and yeah. I don't mean dumbing stuff down I don't mean being less of an artist I just mean finding a new way of putting that message across um, I guess it largely depends on kind of who you think the artist for I guess Yeah. because um, obviously there are some artists um, who are very interested in engaging as many people as possible and um, I think it can be seen as uh, very pretentious to to say that your art isn't for everybody, but I don't I don't think it necessarily has to be. I think there's this um, idea where people talk, especially with art, people talk about you know art engaging the community and um, art engaging people. But I think we kind of forget that artists are a part of their community and that artists are people. And I think you know I think it's perfectly fair to just want to engage other artists. Mm. I mean, I'm definitely um, not. Um, suggesting that we should be trying to talk to the greatest number of people as possible because invariably that leads to um, art with very little substance yeah. but uh, what I mean more is if there is no audience mm. that can't just be the audience's fault you know because you, you surely it's within all of us to build up a small because it, I mean how many people live in Basildon enough well, so certainly yeah, enough people thousands, to, yeah. to Garner a small following. Sure, you know, sure, yeah. There has to be, doesn't there? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we have got a small Basildon following. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, there are people from around here yeah. who, who who 
like what we do. A lot of them are our mates, to be fair. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, yeah. just goes out to you. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there are a few people who, after reading little articles about us, have, um, have emailed us asking to buy our books and yeah, CDs yeah, yeah. and things yeah, like that. Yeah. I just... I, some people get annoyed because they think that we're slagging off their Yeah, style. some people have got a little bit annoyed us <laughs> in the past, yeah. So I tell them as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what a fucking real life. <laughs> We've... Uh, but yeah, so there are there are a few a few people who who locally who do who do like what we do. Um, I just feel like for me, my primary art form is poetry, yeah. and and what I lack here are the, are the channels yeah. in order to in order to get that across to a local yeah. audience. I think the reason I believe that's what I just asked is more of a general question is because um, it comes from a, a point of view where people might complain that people aren't in their local area aren't receptive. And that, actually, that, I don't get that impression from either of you two. You're quite happy just doing your stuff where you yeah. want to do it. I just mean, I was just trying to get your point of view on, yeah. you know, based on... I, I think with art, I'm quite selfish in that I probably do it just for myself, really. And when people engage with that and um, enjoy it, it's like all, all for the better, you know. But... Um, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you completely because I, yeah, yeah. I came from a visual arts background before I started writing. I mean, I've been, I've been writing, it's not even a year yet, but t- 10 or 12 years within the visual arts scene. Mm. And you do become incredibly selfish and you're allowed to. And it's never questioned. Yeah, you can yeah, show yeah. your work in exactly whatever way you want. You don't have to explain anything. You yeah. can put it in a box and never show it to anyone and be perfectly justified. But with, there seems to be a demand with poetry that you share it and yeah. be more open with it and which is an interesting point in itself I mean it is you know is poetry a sort of um, unique art form in that way yeah I suppose especially with view, views maybe yeah I think especially with spoken word because it's um, you know so much written to be performed and if you're performing something there's like this implication where it has to have an audience yes. if you've got an audience then you have to Actually, take them into account whereas with yeah. visual art you yeah, can yeah, hide yeah. behind it you can put it in a space and yeah. you can have a, actually engage directly as like the middleman between yeah. your work and the, the audience on the subject of audiences actually and travelling sort of away from where, you know, where you're based does the fact that so many performers and artists travel in order to share their work mean that we ourselves or our work need needs justification do do oh, does the interaction with the public give our work greater meaning? Is that what's causing us to travel, or sorry, people in satellite towns to travel? Yeah, I, I, I do see what you mean. I, I think that the sharing of the art is, for me, one of the most important parts of it. I've, I've never really been a writer for the page. I've always, I've always written to perform it, and um, for me, the engagement of the audience is one of the most important things. And... Um, it really helps me creatively as well. Mm. It helps me understand what works and what doesn't work. What uh, you can, you can even when an audience is clapping, you can see if they've engaged with a yes. piece or not. You you understand that, and um, and it, it has kind of shaped my work in that respect. Mm. Um, it must be important to me, otherwise I wouldn't be travelling. I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether the this sort of I mean it's my I'm putting words into your mouth maybe this idea of justification of your work is that what is that the transformation that a poem makes from page to performance you know because you could just sit at home couldn't you could both stay in Basildon and just write Mm -hmm. and write and write if that was all you needed but there's obviously something driving you on yeah I suppose there was like nothing I mean we we went the first the first time we went to uh, Lip Tink the the first like, open mic that we did, um, Olmo performed. I just kind of scouted it out to get a feel f- for it because I'm not really a performer at all. Um, and then the second time, I kind of plucked up the courage to have a go. And I, I guess the the reason we carried on doing it was because of the the response that we got. Yeah. Um, which you know, like you say, that that kind of. Um, engagement with the audience and, and being able to get kind of direct feedback and get like there's an adrenaline rush and, yeah definitely and that's that's something I mean certainly with visual art I've never had that same uh, relationship with my audience um, well you very very rarely meet them do you exactly you know? I mean I've, I've seen some artworks I went to a sculpture park in Oxford once and um, 
there was an artist there from Barcelona and his piece was sitting in the middle of the field and he made a big paella for everyone who was, was kind of coming along and there was that same direct engagement with the audience. So I found that really interesting and that was probably like one of the most interesting bits of art I suppose that I've seen because there was the artist and you were having yes. a chat and there was, you know, that that communication and it was good fun and I think there's that same thing with spoken word. You go and you have a night and it's a fun night and you're chatting to people and you can have a beer and um, I suppose travelling around and meeting new people is, is a part of that whole yeah. process. I think part of the reason why we enjoy spoken word as a, an art form is because it's not just about the kind of three minutes that you're up on stage performing, it's kind of the whole night. The social aspect yeah, and, sure. yeah, and actually talking to people who also yeah. spend a lot of money to travel to. And, yeah, hear, yeah. and hearing the poetry as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. For me, like open micing especially, um, I would say for me, the experience of open micing performances at the very most 50% of it, maybe even lower, I think for me, the listening and engaging yes, yeah, yeah. of people's poetry is so, so important. And, and I actually, I get as much joy from that as I do from performing. Even to the point now where for the first time, because when I first started going to London, it was very much like, oh, I better perform, I better get something out there. Because, you know, I don't get to go to London as often as I'd like. But a couple of times now, I've gone to open mic nights and just listened. Yeah. And I found being on the other side of that's really interesting. Um, talking of listening to poetry, should we, uh, we can have a poem from Omar. Excellent, yeah. Um, I'm actually, this is this is new, so we'll see how this goes. Um, first time I've, uh, I've ever read this one out. Um, I actually started writing this when I met you on that train back okay. from Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was... Um, Actually, we might um, come on to that, actually, how, how we first met. But, um, we'll, Absolutely. We'll so I, I scribbled this down on a train. Let's hope, let's hope it works. <laughs> Once upon a time, I got a degree. And it figures that the try-hard, die-hard bookworm has his time in the spotlight. Rises to the top of an academic pile, classmates and dropouts in his wake. Mortar board and gown on his brow, talk of a town, makes his mum proud. Photos on a mantelpiece for all to see. But then five years flash past like two passing trains with faces and places blurring into obscurity. Then you're 23. Then you're 24. Then you're pushing 25, realising life moves like sped up old film. All jerky and disjointed. Slightly faster than you'd imagined. When old boys told me they still felt 16, I'd laugh. But now I walk that path and all I feel is sympathy. I look back across the road and ask, what did I achieve? Well, I can't complain, I've done okay actually, but I admit a streak of jealousy greener than Bruce Banner came over me when he walked in the club that night. I should explain. This was the hard man of the estate, not quite a mate as much an acquaintance with the patience of a rabid beast and fists of stone he made the street his home. A real bastard. But our bastard, the bastard son of the same place that raised us. There but for the grace of God goes I, a guy whose life is a testimony to testosterone fueled fury, executioner, judge and jury of his own gory rules. His reign was cut short. When he was caught, not with a bag of green, a couple of E's or any other delicacy of delinquency his enterprise has seen fit to try and sell to me over the years, but a gun. That's right, a cold hard metal pocket rocket shooter like something from a gangster flick. What a prick. Old Bill picked him up in Northlands Park after dark mid-speech in some spiteful Scarface inspired fantasy. His mugshot spread in black and white and red all over for the town to see. Three years inside some dank and dingy hole they left his soul to rot and dwell. In the meantime, as previously stated, I created opportunities. I'd done what was right for me. I aimed to drag myself from obscurity. I took the path that teachers and parents and those on TV had convinced me were the right way to achieve. I left our street and I made my own way in the world. In a flash of lightning, five years unfurled, so back to that club. Thumping bass, familiar faces, the strangest of places we drink away the remainder of our youth. Tall cans in the air out your chair for the anthems and soundtracks of our childhood. Four pound a pint for a night of nostalgia and tripping down memory lane. When like a ghost of lifetimes past, passed without so much as noticing me. It was he, that corner shop crawler, backstreet brawler, slightly taller and broader than memory served and he walked by without a word, and I'd heard he was out, 
and had been for two years and kick-started his dealings of increased curiosity. It seemed while lecturers had been teaching me, he'd been in the university of 25 to life, like a training ground for the lost and found, for used to cut their teeth and find their feet, a first-class honours degree in applied criminality. Gold rings run up each hand like a renaissance prince. The sharp tailored suit made to fit makes me reevaluate my attire. I check the mirror and recoil like an arachnophobic tarantula. Perhaps t-shirt and jeans, it seems, were a touch informal. Well, the lord of the rings, the lord of the bars, the lord of the dance reclines and beckons over staff who kneel at his feet like the three wise men. Frankincense, myrrh and a bottle of the most expensive taste. What a waste he necks it like tap water and orders four more for his harem who it seems have materialised and my eyes can't drag themselves away from what I see because it actually makes me doubt my choices. Voices in my head recall adults' advice and lies about what it takes to do well in this world. Behave yourself, keep your head down. Eventually that jealousy drains from me and I realise in reality this is actually a tale of two clowns. Both mugs in our own way, trying to get by in a system where the chips are stacked against you and a man across the table is counting cards. He might have pulled a string of aces, but this place is a casino and over time, the dealer always cashes in. Life's hard and I can't blame him for choosing a route that suits him down to the ground, so when to my surprise, I catch his eye, I raise a glass to the sky, I exchange a smile and return to my night, off to fight my own fight, and I wish him luck in his. Cheers, man. Thanks very much. Um, uh, I think that, yeah, the next question is, do you think the way that you both write might be informed by a longing for acceptance from those you grew up around? No. We'll go on to sort of explain that question. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't, I don't particularly think so. I think that my longing for right is often to I want to describe those people who I grew up around and I want to explore who they were and what they were like kind of share that story but I don't think acceptance is part of that I, I think I still live in constant inner turmoil of wanting to do stuff and wanting people to see it but at the same time definitely not wanting anyone to see it <laughs> yeah. uh, especially those people that I grew up around. <laughs> yeah, because others that I've spoken to have, um, from sort of similar surroundings have spoken of a resentment towards locals in the area that have grown up. And you've sort of touched on that. Not, I mean, probably wouldn't go as far as resentment, but there's certainly a, a, some sort of feeling of uh, maybe bordering on resentment. I mean, do you think that's difficult to overcome? Because you were just saying like you you have this term you have this turmoil. Why do you think it's why do you think there's that turmoil there? Um, I, su I, su I suppose a big part of it is the fact that um, a lot of those people knew me when I was a kid and when I was a teenager and when I went through all those awkward stages in your life and um, all those times when you're kind of trying to search for like who you are and what your identity is and where you fit in and. Um, it just makes me cringe and the other I guess um, I don't know to a certain extent we're, we're still doing that and um, I don't know there's all those people that you kind of went to school with that you kind of run into in the pub and they go oh, I saw a thing you're doing in the like local paper and I don't know I, I, I guess it's kind of still a part of stage fright in a way it's like you're putting yourself out there and do you feel like in a way you is it a feeling of being judged by those people. You oh, know, for sure, yeah. Because yeah. um, I think that's what, what sort of what I meant by the idea of sort of having some sort of longing for acceptance. Because quite often, those that we would resent are from childhood, are friends and family. Maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe a wider family structure. Maybe not the parents, but maybe aunts and uncles and people that you don't share views with. Yeah. But isn't that? You know, we're sort of told to love these people unconditionally. Mm -hmm. So, what effect does this come? Because that it's quite a big conflict, isn't it? That you're you're making something that's very important to you, mm -hmm. which naturally you should probably share with other people, but you don't feel like you. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I mean, the people that 
I kind of grew up with who are who are like my very close friends. I'm kind of um, still very good friends with them. Um, you know, those people are are supportive and um, we have you know you've got a good relationship with them, and so you you know you don't mind kind of putting yourself up there. I suppose it's more the the acquaintances and then the people who knew you but a very kind of limited perspective of of you and it's there's something strange about them seeing that like your, your best friends they've already seen you at your yes, absolute yeah. worst and you've yeah, seen yeah. them at their worst and so no one's got like a moral high ground <laughs> whereas those people who know you and you've kind of you went to school with but you never were close to as soon as they see something like that like some sort of expression then you're putting yourself out there and suddenly they know you a lot better than you know them and I think there's a weird kind of it makes you feel quite vulnerable I suppose and quite exposed um, do you find it, is it an inspiration for work this resentment um, well I'm, I'm just trying to work out whether it's a help or a hindrance sort of having that I, I think I don't know I don't, see, I don't suppose I resent anyone um, but I think I find it. I find that I do a lot of what I do in spite of this kind of fear yeah. of how people will like perceive you after you do it. Sure, mm. it's always kind of you're always aware of it. Every time you do something, every time something gets filmed or something gets recorded like this, you're kind of always aware of the fact that someone might see it. And especially with the internet, like when we first started putting videos on YouTube. You suddenly because it shows you exactly how many people have seen it you become very aware of the fact that you have no idea who those people are yeah. and occasionally people will say to you oh I saw this thing that you did on uh, on, on YouTube or they'll say oh I saw you in the paper and you're like oh, I can't believe that person saw yeah, it before and Christmas a fellow at work said oh I googled you and there was something on YouTube which I didn't realise had gone out yeah, it was like yeah. you're doing this thing about keys in the kitchen drawer and He'd only watched the first two minutes. It didn't make any sense. It was completely out of context. Yeah, and he was yeah. like, is that what you do? And I was like, well, yeah, but could yeah. you please go back and watch the whole thing or yeah. like not watch it at all? Yeah, yeah. Or try yeah, to forget yeah. it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the, that, I suppose that's the kind of the frightening thing is that you're, you're putting yourself out there and you just have no idea who is seeing it. And that all these kind of odd people from your past end up kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, no, I've seen that. And, yeah, that's all sense, and like yeah. I say, they know you so much better than you know them. And that's a very odd feeling. Actually, before we move on, perhaps we'll have a poem from Shawnee, if that's all right. We were the kids, and deep inside the library of my mind, you'll find the first tome I ever owned, bound in black leather with gold letters embossed on the cover, vocabulary. And it doesn't run from A to Z, it starts at mum and ends on a blank page for the last words of my final day. And words hastily written and forgotten fall from its pages like oil spills stuck in my throat on the tip of my tongue, we were the kids. All ears, eyes wide with open minds, we built our lives on wishes made from candle wax. Given a world of atom bombs and anthrax, homelessness and bedroom tax, we took the world on. With our father's heavens on our backs, we were the kids. And we were deafened by your silence. It spoke the volumes of hollow planets and then you said, calm down. Channel the tantric tactics of yoga fanatics. Dosed up on Prozac and lithium, diazepam and Ritalin. We were anaesthetised and abandoned. We were the kids and we dragged ourselves up through volcanoes. We made God stop to watch the world explode. And when we were finished, the world seemed hollow. We burnt down forests and drew new ones with the charcoal. Blessed are the artists for they make this earth still worth inheriting. We were the kids and we swam through oil spills to be here. Arrived with choked throats and clenched fists. Screamed each breath like protest. We wrote picket lines in black gold on mountainsides. And set fire to them for the world to behold. We were the kids and the world said no. As though talent was a rarity. And now he had the diamond in the rough. But the earth was filled with uncut gems. They just found one that was buff. So we dragged ourselves up through volcanoes. And cleared our lungs of dust. Shouted poems made from oil spills. So they'd remember us. And when they say the world is hollow. I say put it to your ear. You'll hear the voice are the poets and they'll be echoing for years thanks man that was good um actually just this is just an aside because we were sort of mentioned earlier about the difference between you know what what poetry becomes when it's off the page mm -hmm. so i've been reading that so as preparation i got both the poems and printed them out i've been reading through chart place them in the podcast mm -hmm. so i've been reading that for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and that was just a completely different thing that wasn't what i've been reading it's amazing how things just transform yeah, yeah. You know? but um 
because we, we only met uh, known Omar for a while, and Sean and I have only met today. I wasn't aware of your energy, you know, how you read and what yeah, the energy yeah. was in the works, but it just really came alive. But it's uh, no, it's just an interesting yeah, point. Yeah. Um, actually, and in the preparation the last couple of weeks, um, I've been thinking about this idea, you know, of how to place the conversation around satellite towns mm -hmm. and how your creative development as a youngster, teenager, <coughs> young adult, might be different to those in the city. And I just sort of kept coming back to the point that I think it has to be pointed out that growing up in a city or a satellite town brings the same pressures to conform. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. A simple uh, example would be as men, we should follow in our father's footsteps. And this perhaps where this resentment comes from because we're not allowed to flourish creatively or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I just think because I was just thinking because there are a greater number of galleries in the city, yeah. it doesn't mean that the city kid doesn't feel these pressures less keenly, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. still the same. I was, so what I was wondering was, could it be that a large part of the cultural isolation, cultural isolation, isolation, wait a minute, I'm gonna get this right. <laughs> cultural isolation, yep. of a satellite town is down to perhaps just social conditioning and it doesn't actually exist. It's just, you've been brought up to believe that you can't, yeah, and I suppose um, it, it becomes kind of self-perpetuating. Like, yeah, yes. yeah. South End's got a culture because it's got a culture. Mm. Basildon doesn't have a exactly. culture because as soon as anyone yeah. brings up and decides to do something, mm. they go somewhere else to do it. Yes. Um, and so there's there's not, um, not a chance problem, or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of like, you know, towns that have culture, it's like a bit of a, you know, it's like stereotypes and stereotypes, it's, you yeah. know, it builds itself up and I people attach yeah. to it and people are exposed to it so then they want to take part in it. And Whereas in Basildon, you kind of, like for us, you know, we started doing something and then we looked for where we could do it yes. and it was somewhere yes. else. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, automatically we become a part of another town's... Yeah, the London sort of, and the South End yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the reason that point kept going around in my head is because it sort of links all these things in that we've been talking about, that there's a... a there's a lack of culture in Basildon. Yeah. Because there's a lack of culture. And yeah, it's yeah. not, like you said, it's self perpetuating. Um, why then do people not set up their own scenes? You know, but it all comes back to this point that if you're told constantly that it can't work, yeah, yeah. then it won't work, will it? It's, and people won't even attempt. It's not even, it's not, it's not that things are failing, they're not even starting. Yeah. But it's just, a, sorry, it's, it's actually not, again, it's not really anything to do with your practice as, as poets or artists. It's just, or general yeah. thought, really. Um, and, and it sort of leads into the next uh, idea that, you know, you could suggest that living in an area without a particularly responsive audience is usually the result in general uh, dearth of culture. And this brings me to the question of inspiration. And do some people need cultural deprivation in order to find inspiration? I think, I think it helps. I mean, I think that the, the, the lack of culture is an inspiration for my writing, in that sometimes what I, I find myself doing is is trying to find beauty and find art where I where at first glance you can't see any of it, you know? Like that piece I read out just now was was a true story about some arsehole I used to know. And I thought, yeah. you know, and I, I bumped into a nightclub and I thought like there is, there's no beauty in that whatsoever. So then you try to, you use that as the inspiration for trying to create something beautiful. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of my writing is, is about that, trying to use the lack of culture or the lack of anything worth talking about and turning it into something worth talking about, using it as the stimulus for, for creativity, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, there is also, the, there's a counter argument to that, that if, there is a complete lack of, uh, of culture mm. or happenings. Does that lead to artists sticking to one type of art? And in our case, poets writing one style of poetry because that's a response to one place and it doesn't really end because that place doesn't change. Yeah. Perhaps your work won't change. That's a danger. And yeah. that is a, a real danger. And it's something that I am now having to consciously try and break because. I did look at, you know, I've been, I haven't been doing this for a very long time, year and a half, uh, but I looked at the little body of work that I've put together mm. and I would say about 70% of it is very much about the same thing. It's about 
either an experience of this town, little stories and stuff, or just generic kind of like what it is like to be here. Um, so now I'm trying to push myself creatively to move away from that. I mean, I think I'll always come back to it. It's such a big part of... Because there's a contradiction, a contradiction that uh, exists there, isn't there? That you both talk of the inspiration you find in Basildon, which doesn't seem like it would inspire anyone, but yeah. it's obviously inspired you both. But you've both spoken of developing as artists by travelling to places where there are a huge amount of yeah. uh, influences. You know, so it's... Um, I'm not... It's... Uh, it's not a complete conflict, but there is a contradiction there, isn't there? That you find inspiration here in Basildon, but need to travel to somewhere, or feel like you need to travel in order to share and to develop as writers. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do know what you mean, but I, I think that the, the Basildon thing will be a constant inspiration for me. It'll always be there in the background, you know. And it was, it definitely was the early inspiration. It's the thing that got me to start writing, and you know, filled up a book and filled up a CD quite happily with yes. with that material. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, going into London and seeing, uh, well, mainly seeing other artists, you know, that's really inspired me to kind of develop my writing. Um, there's, a, there's a poet who, who me and Shawnee have seen um, quite regularly called uh, Bumi Hazan, very, very talented spoken word artist, and um, he's really inspired me recently to, to start writing about completely different stuff. He, he can go... Uh, he he can go and create pieces quite easily about like kind of like fantasy and kind of science fiction worlds and all that kind of stuff. And he can, although although I do believe it's often inspiration is based in real life and real experiences. So you know I do relate to it. Um, he can write these kind of fantastical pieces, which I've all my stuff has been very deeply rooted in real world before. So now I've written a couple of pieces where I've been pushing myself to kind of try to not emulate his style. I'm not copying you, Bummy. Um, <laughs> but but kind of branch out and try writing about different themes and yeah, different yeah. ideas. I mean, I, I, at the moment, I'm not anywhere with that kind of writing. I'm happy to share it. That's real. Yeah, that's yeah, baby yeah. steps at the moment. But that's the kind of thing I've been trying to do. Um, I want to move away from sort of accepted adult uh, poetry audiences to younger audiences. Yeah. Um, because you both work in education. Yeah. Um, actually, maybe we'll start... If you both explain... What you do for a living, or what, where you work? And yeah, um, unfortunately, I'm not a millionaire from poetry yet. Um, I'm hoping that's going to happen sometime soon. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the day job is teaching. Yes. I, I'm a primary school teacher yeah. at a local school in in Basildon, yeah. and uh, I mean that's that's excellent because a large source of my inspiration comes from that. You know, the children are awesome, and and uh, you meet people, local people, constantly doing that kind of work. So that's great. I do get inspiration from that. But on top of teaching, I also um, run poetry workshops. Yes. So I go to um, schools across the Basildon area. Um, and Actually, run... we'll come on to that in a minute. If, yeah. um, if Sean, if you just... Yeah, um, of... yeah, so I work um, with uh, special needs students. Um, What's in, a, in a college, uh, so post-16. Post-16, um, yeah. some are adults. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most are kind of 16 to 18. Okay. Um, and do you... Um, I know certainly you know because right so the, well, I met Olmo in Sheffield and we were both attending a poetry in schools seminar yeah which was run by Sammy Jacob Sam Rose not Sammy I've got Sammy in my head yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible with names and um, yeah and we got talking about it, primary school teaching and just about how poetry can be used I mean in that sense to teach under 11s yeah. Do, do you use any poetry in your teaching or does no. it come into no so maybe the, just this small part of the conversation more involves more of it more, but, um, in what way do you use poetry um, poetry I've, I use it often as um, well it can be used as a reward actually yeah. if, I've, if I've got a new poem and it's very different to the stuff I've read here today like my children's poetry if I've got a new poem um, I can use it as a right if you if you're well behaved during yes, the afternoon yeah. session you get to hear a new poem at the end of the day and my children do really engage with that and enjoy that but um, I found increasingly um, especially with doing my workshops as well as in my classroom um, using it as a stimulus for writing mm. I've written um, a couple of poems recently which are unfinished and they're unfinished on purpose they end on kind of like a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, so there's one in particular about a, a spaceman who comes down and he explains how he came to Earth and stuff. And then um, he says, now I've seen all of your world, 
and I've got something to say. Mm. And then I oh, put okay, it onto yeah, the children. Yeah, yeah. I say, right, if a spaceman had came to Earth, scanned it all, seen everything going on, mm-hmm. what do you think he'd say about our planet? And we kind of use it as a stimulus to then create some poetry about that. Yeah. And it's, it's powerful. I mean, children will just blow your mind. They haven't got the same, uh, they haven't got the same reservations as adults. Yeah, yeah. We get so scared of that guy on stage. We go, oh, is our poetry going to be rubbish? Are people going to engage with it? Children do not care. Yeah, yeah. Most children do not care anyway. And they'll get up after only having an hour to write a piece and they'll give it their best go and they'll absolutely blow you away, blow you away with what they produce. And, uh, and it gives kids a voice as well. I mean, there's a lot of children out there who, for whatever reason do not have a voice. And I don't think that's just around here. I think that's, that's you'll get that in any society. Yeah. Children who, for whatever reason, struggle to have a voice in their life. And it's really, it's empowering when they're given an opportunity to just share some of their thoughts, share some of their writing with their peers. It's really, really exciting. I love it. Um, and to bring Shawnee back into the conversation, um, uh, what, what do you feel um, can be done to improve Poetry education, and um, you can answer that in in with respect to your own schooling and, uh, and maybe almost from your actually experience. Yeah. Um, I don't. Know, I mean, well, first of all, actually, do you feel like it's important? Do you think? Do you think? Because some actually, not all poets feel that it's ne- necessary to improve because yeah, they've sort yeah. of come to, uh, toward it later in life, and it hasn't yeah. really hindered them. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, when I was at school. It's, it's a weird one because I, I really I started writing about 18 months ago and you know I was already you know I'd done my art degree and so I was kind of already kind of used to like expressing myself or having like an, a creative outlet um, but when I was at school I think I, I definitely remember when we came to doing poetry in like English lessons something I enjoyed you know mm. I, I kind of had a, an enjoyment for it but I never really pursued it um, and I think like, I, it's a difficult one because I mean I, I definitely enjoyed it but then I wonder you know why didn't I do anything with it until later on in life I mean mm. I guess part partly I had some English teachers that I didn't really get on with but then I had, to, I had some that you know were really good as well so it's um it's a strange one, really. I think some there's so much poetry that exists that is like is so engaging, and um, you know it's, it's quite like inspirational, and it makes you want to write yourself. Um, and we de- there was definitely you know a lot of that was probably included in my education. There was some you know there's obviously there was stuff that doesn't engage you at all, kind of like Lord Byron. You know, how many ways do I love you? Oh, I just, Don't just, look at me when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> just really kind of boring and not really my sort of thing. But um, I, th- I think as a as a rule, it's it's there. And if you if you enjoy enjoy writing, then you enjoy writing, I suppose. And I think a lot of people kind of find that in, on their own. Um, but I, I suppose it's it's just important, especially for young people, to find some sort of outlet. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that, that c- can help you kind of really find your own self because especially when you're you know going through your adolescence you're always trying to find someone else who's like representing yeah, yeah, you yeah. and like you, if you use your like music to kind of express yourself you, you know you find a band and you're like yeah that's exactly how I feel whereas <laughs> you know if you find an outlet then you can you don't a lot of you know young people obviously don't even show it to other people but yeah. it just lets them kind of consolidate in their own head you know who they are and what their mm. their thoughts are which is is very important me as well yeah, yeah. so um the most important thing i think we can do with uh, poetry in schools and with education is uh, and i think this is actually just generally in writing it's something i've kind of experienced and then developed in my teaching is the children seeing the teacher as a writer. Yeah. I think that's very important. I think I don't think I had a bad literacy education at all. I mean, I had some really inspirational English teachers, I did. Um, but when the children see the teacher or the facilitator or whoever's leading the lesson as somebody who also writes, that's that's really good because you get up 
and you have a big piece of paper and a wall, you start writing your poem, you cross out lines, you say, oh, that sounds rubbish, you, you write a new line above it, you say it out loud, you try it out, and they see that whole creative process. And then I think it takes the pressure off of them, as opposed to saying, I am the boss, I have all the answers, this is what a good poem looks like. Let's read a famous one. This is what a good poem looks like. Now make your one. I think it's a really good point, actually, you just made. I think there's a, a lot of young people, maybe not the kids you... Because the kids you teach are very young, and they're not yet affected by this feeling, but a lot of kids won't... They won't draw and show their drawings. They won't make sculptures. They won't write poems and read them out. Because all they're, all they're um, exposed to are finished pieces of work. Yeah, absolutely. And they're judging themselves against people that have been writing for years and years and years. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's absolutely right. Show your working. Show that show your shit poems yeah. and how things don't work out because Absolutely. That's, that's creativity you know like we were talking about earlier you know, before we started recording you don't get anywhere creative, creatively unless you've fucked up hundreds thousands Absolutely. of times and realising what is shit and what yeah. you have to promise to yourself that you won't make those mistakes again you know and I think it's important for, yeah, that kids can't just be exposed to amazing of course they can you know later on but they need also that middle ground of seeing the process happen absolutely know? i mean it's got it got to the point now where i write children's poetry and um with my class i will read them unfinished pieces yeah ask them what they think i mean kids are a great audience because adults generally speaking we try to be quite polite to one another yeah. We'll say yeah it's okay i can see what you're doing there whereas a kid will turn around and say i didn't get it yeah, yeah. i don't get it i don't like it yeah. and uh that, that really harsh criticism from nine-year-olds has actually really helped my writing in children's poetry. I, th- I wrote a piece recently about cavemen, and I thought that it was bloody brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, my class are going to love this, and, yeah, their faces, yeah. that said it all. <laughs> Absolutely, just that kind of, like, bemused expression on their face. <laughs> and uh, and then I think as well, when they see me turning around and going, oh, that's not very good, that one, yeah, yeah. see me screwing up and putting it in a bin, yeah. I say, oh, I'm going to write another one next week for you. So yeah, I think that's Um I think we're going to wrap it up. Absolutely. I think we've covered everything. But um, just one last chance to mention any blogs or um, Twitter accounts or, or, you know, so people can... Like, find us. Find you and Absolutely. see if they want to come along and see if they like what they've heard. and They want to follow us. It's always very threatening, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> follow you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you want to check out some more of uh, Mon Shani's work, you can go to... Um, facebook.com forward slash Tory Town Poets um, to and then you'll be able to get updated on any of the features we have coming up or any uh, open mics we're attending or any information about CDs and books we might have out um, on Twitter you can follow us at Tory Town Poets and that's all one word and uh, we've got quite a lot of spoken word videos up now haven't we yeah there's a few, uh, few yeah. things on YouTube some stuff that we did with uh yeah, Matt Rowley from Matt Box Film. Yeah, we we've done a recently done a collaboration with Matt Box Film and um, uh, called the Stonehaven Sessions. So we have some videos up from that as well, and you can find that at um, youtube.com forward slash Storytown Poets. You probably didn't have to write that down. So it's all pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty what, straightforward. What we'll do is all of these links will be in the description oh, on, cool. the, on the YouTube video when this goes out, so people can just click on there. But basically, if you were to Google. Storytown Poets. Yeah, yeah. There are hundreds there, yeah. of ways of finding out through social media what these two are up to. Um, thank you, Omar Lazarus. Thank and you. Richards. It's thank been you. good. I've enjoyed it. Um, 